Hi everyone, this is Kaz and welcome to this episode of Stepping Out. Today I spoke to the happy Heather Waring. We don't change until the pain of where we are is greater than the pain of where we think we're going. So that expectation of how hard it's going to be suddenly becomes that little bit easier than staying where we are. Heather is a coach, mentor and author of the book How Walking Saved My Life after a turnaround in her own life in 2014. We talk about when burnout and adrenal fatigue made it impossible for her to carry on the way she was and how she made it her mission to affect the lives of one million women. She did this by coaching them into finding their true selves by way of walking. She has a lovely story to tell from adversity to one of contentment, peace and happiness and how walking can improve mental health and prevent negative self-talk. So take yourself off for a walk and listen to Heather's story and I'll see you on the other side. Hi Heather, thank you so much for joining me on Stepping Out. How are you today? Have you managed to get out for a walk? I have actually. I was out first thing, which is my preferred time of the day to walk because it kind of sets you up for the day and then you you also feel virtuous because you've already done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Especially if you can kind of get yourself out of bed and even if it's not very far, it's just nice to get out, isn't it, in the it beginning is. of the day. Yeah. So thank you so much. I'd really like to start by talking, if I may, about your previous lifestyle, because you set up your walking community. And of course, you've written a book, How Walking Saved My Life. So how were you feeling back then before all of this in 2014? Because it was a real catalyst to changing things around quite dramatically for you, wasn't it? It was indeed. Yeah. I mean, how I was feeling before that. Um, I was lost before that, actually. I, I don't think I realized I was lost. And, and the kind of years up to 2014 are now what I call my wilderness years mm -hmm. because they really did feel as if I was wandering around in the wilderness. I, I mean, I'd been coaching since 2000. I'd set up my own business in 2000 and, and you know, things were, things were really good. but towards the, I suppose, towards the kind of 2010, I began to feel that I just, there was something missing and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So I was still showing up and doing my stuff, but I just wasn't happy. And I just, yeah, I just didn't know what I was in a sense seeking, um, but I knew I was seeking something. Mm -hmm. uh, and then 2014 was, as you say, the catalyst that kind of, started to make sense of it all really yeah because and you, you sort of changed around what you were doing i mean you mentioned on your website that facing things is absolutely the way to go and i have to agree with that but how hard was it to face your situation at the time and change your life because it isn't necessarily an easy thing to admit that we're not coping or in control or our health is suffering because of our own choices is it no not at all and actually i'm really glad you said that because one of my big things is ask for help. And we women especially, I think people in general are not good at asking for help. Mm. Uh, but I think we women are really bad. We're so used to shouldering everything. Um, you know, even within a very supportive relationship, women still tend to be the ones who juggle most of the things, especially where children are concerned. You know, we, we kind of tend to be the person who does the main day-to-day -day stuff with children we're the we're the person who tends to answer the call of aged parents and and because of 
who we are and how we're brought up. We're, we're looking after everyone else. So we're not good at asking for help. And I'm better than I was, but I'm still not perfect. And because I also think that when you, when you often talk to other people, even just having a more general conversation, the things that were really pulling you down in the middle of the night actually seem to disappear a bit, or at least you find yourself thinking, oh, it wasn't that bad. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe we don't then open up because we think, oh, I'm fine. It was just a blip. But um, going back to kind of the beginning of your question, it's funny, but once you make the decision, I think everything becomes easier. So when I burnt out, for instance, and knew that's what, what it was, and that's what happened in 2014, suddenly having the label and i you know labels can be useful but also they can be damaging too but mm -hmm. that you that label was useful because i then knew okay this is what it is now i know how to deal with it because before that i hadn't a clue what was going on and that then made it easier to ask for help but the thing i would really stress is that we we conjure up in our mind, we start to imagine what confronting some of these issues in our life is gonna be like, and it's really scary. Mm. And I think therefore we get it out of proportion and we don't want to go there. But if you can actually find the right person or people to work with, and you can start to take the steps and appreciate really one of my kind of mantras is one step at a time, step by step. Then when you start to address these things, they suddenly are not quite so big. And I really feel that once you get into it, it's never as bad as you imagine it to be. And what I would love to say to people dealing with stress or burnout or anything similar is, actually you can come out the other side and you can come out a happier, stronger, better version of yourself than you were before. Mm. It's having that courage as well, isn't it, I guess, to come out of that. I mean, how, how did you feel physically that, that made you really sit down and say, oh, I have to do something about that? And that's where that courage would have come from, I, I guess, because you had no choice really. So how is it you actually felt physically at that time? Oh, I felt so scared. And um, I, I think there's a quote, but I think it's by Anais in at Nin. And it, it actually, I'm not going to get it exactly right. I'm going to paraphrase it a little <laughs> bit. But it's around the idea that, you know, we don't change until the pain of where we are is greater than the pain of where we think we're going. So that expectation of how hard it's going to be suddenly becomes that little bit easier than staying where we are. And I think that's where I got to. I mean, I was I was lying awake in the middle of the night, sobbing my heart out silently, so not as to wake my husband, because I was just so unhappy and I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't really know what was wrong. And I just didn't think anybody could help. And and one of the scariest things was I've always been quite an upbeat, vibrant, kind of energetic woman. And suddenly, with a bit of a sparkle in my eye, and suddenly I didn't have that. And I feared I'd never find it again. And I, but then also, you know, I would think to myself, 
well, what the hell have you got to complain about? You know, you've got a lovely house, you've got a beautiful daughter, you've got a lovely husband, you have friends, you know, you've got a, a job, you go on holidays, you know, all of these things. So what the hell have you got to complain about? And I think we do that as well. We compare where we are to other people and we think, well, you know, somebody who doesn't have very much money, somebody who's terminally ill, what right do I have? But I think we have to stop that comparisonitis even at that stage and, and be grateful for where we are, but also appreciate that if we're not happy and we're not able to live the life we want to live, that's just as bad and just as important where we're concerned. Mm, I love that comparisonitis. That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and and it, it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, it's very easy to start comparing yourself to other people. You know, well, they seem to be coping or, mm. you know, what am I doing wrong? And also, you know, you can feel physically exhausted from all of this as well. I think, um, you know, the, the mind and the body are obviously have a, a, a huge connection there. Um, and you mentioned that you you had adrenal fatigue as well as a result. Yeah. Now, that must have been quite difficult as well, because that's not actually an accepted medical diagnosis, is it? So how did you go about being tested for it and understanding its effects? And because even blood tests can't always pick up hormonal changes and things like that, can they? Which must have been affecting you quite a lot at the time. Oh, I think it was a huge effect. And, and again, I'm glad we're talking about this because I do feel there's a hidden ep epidemic of adrenal fatigue because adrenal fatigue comes when you batter your adrenals basically. Mm -hmm. And us women don't have as much adrenaline in our system. So we then, once we've used the adrenaline that we have, we go on to use other things and our cortisol levels climb and stuff like that. But we, we batter our adrenals and we make them um, unable to work properly. And I really feel that any woman who's stressed, and men too, but you know, I work mainly with women, mm -hmm. any woman who is stressed is at one level on that adrenal fatigue. And I think there's about five levels and I ended up being level number four. So mm -hmm. not quite the worst, but not far off it. Um, but the reason it was diagnosed, well, the reason it was raised with me was I was doing some work with uh, a somatic uh, educator who was working on aligning my body because I was having some aches and pains in my legs. And I remember we, we had a discussion one day and I said to her, I know it's not you. I know it's me because she did this kind of work with so many people and had great results and she wasn't having the same results with me. And I said to her, I, I just think there's something else. So mm. she started Googling and uh, the more she Googled, the more she came up with things like, I think you're missing potassium. I think you're missing magnesium. I think there's all these things, minerals and vitamins in your system that you're not getting. And she also talked about how my legs and, and a lot of my muscles were on alert all the time. They never relaxed. So she suggested I had blood tests done just to clear things, but she also suggested that I look into talking to a nutritional therapist, mm -hmm. which I did. And the nutritional therapist suggested I do a saliva test, which is the best way to diagnose adrenal fatigue. Now, interestingly enough, the blood uh, all come, they all came back fine. And the adrenal or the, the, saliva test was the one that showed the adrenal fatigue up now if i was someone who'd taken the doctors at face value i would have thought 
oh well the bloods are fine there's nothing wrong and then I would have kept thinking what's wrong with me but I went down the route then of working with a naturopath who helped me um, look at what I needed in my system how I needed to change my diet and things like that and what minerals I needed to take and about nine months later I was then I did this saliva test again and was free from adrenal fatigue so you know I can't um, speak highly enough about the fact that sometimes you know doctors are brilliant but they only have seven seven years mm. six years seven years of training which sounds horrendous I mean that long but there's so much stuff that they never mm. learn about yeah. and they are getting better but you know they can't be a GP especially has got to be able to diagnose kind of most things that people show up with or at least know who to put you in touch with and you know that all this stuff that adrenal fatigue comes under they they don't work with they only work with when your adrenals are way off the scale you know yeah bodies are so complicated aren't they and you know often small changes that you make um can make just such a massive difference and, and i think you you've really picked up on a good point i mean gps are obviously amazing but they are general practitioners and there are many alternative ways of treating your body and a lot of those you know through your mind through meditation and walking which we'll go on and talk about but mm. it's hard isn't it to necessarily get a diagnosis or you know to walk into a gp and find out what's wrong with you it's not always as straightforward as you might think it is so um no. sometimes those things can be difficult to pick up i think we underestimate as well the importance of our nutrition i've been health is my top value so it's a big priority for mm. me and i've been doing a lot of well i do a lot of reading most of the time on health but i more and more i've been looking into and researching what we actually put in our body and we really underestimate the power of our food in how it can make us feel and of course our food is tampered with a lot um for um financial gain for profit um and i think we're doing a lot more damage than we realize to to the population at large actually through some of our mm. some of the farming practices and everything it's oh, it's so important though. i mean i i've studied nutritional therapy myself and ah. when my babies were born i obviously being a mother and thinking about right what am i going to put inside them <laughs> at the yeah. time um and i started to study i was interested in it anyway and it is an absolutely fascinating subject because we don't realize what goes into things and we don't also realize just changing that diet around from one of you know that you've had for years and years it's not necessarily making you feel good you wouldn't necessarily know that until you changed what you put in i was fortunate enough to live in israel and their diet is super healthy right. uh, and that was in my early 20s so that kind of set me up for okay well this is now what i want to eat it was early mm. enough in my life to change that for me and um but i think it's never too late and I mean, my husband I did the same for him you know we started to really clean up what we were eating and you know reducing and increasing certain things and it really does give you more energy and like you say especially as women we are doing a lot physically and mentally and often yeah. it is us that are dealing with the children um the large majority of the time it's 
totally vital really to understand the fuel that you're putting in your body as to um, what you're going to get out um, in yeah. terms of energy and that kind of thing isn't it for sure absolutely I've just gone gluten-free actually Have not you? because I'm, I'm I've had been tested twice for um, celiac and I'm not celiac mm -hmm. but I was reading the other day I, I there's definitely been something for me for years about things like bread not working with me and a lot of bloating and stuff and I was reading a book recently where it said that the majority of the population now actually have a, a non-celiac sensitivity to gluten so I just thought okay and I, I started cutting gluten out about two weeks ago and already the difference is amazing it's incredible. I have a friend actually whose um, mum and sister are gluten, uh, they're celiacs, so they're gluten free. Yeah. And she's not, but she's she cut it out a long time ago and she really notices the difference. And I don't think you need to be a celiac to notice the difference. I've heard lots of people cutting out, especially white bread. Yes. Um, and you know just having bread every now and again and I think also as we age it's not particularly good for us Some, there's something about that I think maybe to do with the way our digestion changes um, it can certainly give you indigestion sometimes or um, mm. make you feel bloated like you say so it's never a bad thing but I suppose the only thing is no. is just finding an alternative because I've got a bread machine and I love making bread um, so it's finding things that work with that but if you can find it it's just going to taste just as good isn't it and be better for you so yeah yeah I think there's still a, w a way to go on gluten-free bread because mm. I've yet to find a really nice gluten-free bread do you make your own no, I don't actually. I've got a very good friend who does. I'm going to have a chat with her actually, because maybe we will get down that road. Where there's a will, um, there's a way, hey? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're inspiring me here. so you. <laughs> yeah, I need to look into that. I definitely need to look into that option. Um, but we were, just wanted to mention this, because I, I think this is quite an important thing to talk about as well, as I'm sure you do. We were talking, um, mentioned hormones there, when we were talking about your adrenal fatigue that you had. And I really like to sort of expose the truth about the menopause as much as I can, as I think even though women are starting to talk about it a bit more, it still seems to be an avoided or taboo subject, even though it can fundamentally affect half the population. Um, so tell me, do you think that your burnout was at all exacerbated by those symptoms? And if so, how has walking helped you feel better about that? I think there definitely was a link and I'm but I'm not sure what the link was because you know when you when you discover what was going on like the burnout um I mean I then could trace it actually way way back and that was long before menopause but I do think that what goes on in menopause um and how you're coping with all these hormonal changes definitely played a bit of a role I mean I wouldn't say I had the the most challenging menopause and I also for me I feel mindset was a big issue here because mm -hmm. do you know if you think about it at the other end of the scale when young women and I have a daughter of 24 now so you know when she was coming up to you know start of menstruation and things it's such a it's such kind of celebration you know, and in many cultures, you know, when you become a young woman, when you start menstruating, it's a it's a really positive, you know, you're a young woman now. But I think what's sad is when you get to the other end where you start to, you enter menopause, you come through menopause, 
all the kind of connotations historically are around like dried up crones, you know, wizened women, as if it's the beginning of the downslide, you know. And I kind of looked at this coming up to menopause and I thought, I'm not, I'm not buying into that. Menopause for me is it's just another part of life. It's another transition. It's another, in a sense, rite of passage. So I decided that for me, menopause was going to be a positive thing and it was going to be a good thing. Now, I did have some hot flushes in the middle of the night and I did talk to someone about that and I ended up taking some natural supplements and things, which really helped. Mm -hmm. Weight gain... I don't know whether that was menopausal or whether that was eating the wrong things because when life is not good with me, I have a tendency to turn to sugar and sweets. Uh, and that's one thing I've really been battling to cut out. Um, but I do know a lot of women who have suffered quite badly from menopause. Mm. And uh, one in particular, for instance, you know, the change in her shape has really affected her strongly and kind of having to rethink her style and what to wear and how she deals with this different body shape compared to what she was so i think various women have, diff have various challenges um but i think if we could look at it um a bit more as a as not a bad thing but actually a, a kind of positive thing another chapter then that might help mindset. I know it's not going to help people who have really bad experiences. I think walking helps whatever you're going through. Mm -hmm. And so from a menopausal point of view, I know lots of my female friends who have walked and just the, the action of walking, the activity, where walking takes you, um, especially if it's in nature, all of that has really affected their positivity and their mental health, whether that's been around how they're coping with menopause or whether it's some of the other challenges and issues. Yeah, yeah. And you obviously decided to, to um, focus on walking as your passion uh, when yeah. you did turn yourself around from, from that not so great time. Um, have you always been into walking or how did you go about developing that side of things for yourself? I remember getting into walking at university. I was in university in Glasgow and I had a friend there who'd been very much brought up in the outdoors and she introduced me to walking and we used to then walk lots of weekends. We took holidays together in, in Cornwall and, and actually we went to America and walked in Utah and Arizona, which was amazing. Um, so it became part of my life, but not as much as it is now. And in, um, I worked for the British Heart Foundation as head of education for 10 years. And they were one of the first charities to do these kind of sponsored treks. Um, and it was because they were looking to increase their donor base from different people because with something like heart disease, it's often the families and other people who have heart disease. Mm. Whereas what they found was with doing some of these treks, they were actually getting a younger um, donor base who wanted the adventure. So although I was working for the charity at the time, their first trek was along the Great Wall of China. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that always fancy the Great Wall of China. And so um, I talked this friend of mine who'd got me into walking, I talked her into doing it. 
and we trained in the Lake District once a month um, and got fit and did China. And it was absolutely amazing. I you bet. know, I could I could talk to you for a whole hour oh, on China. How far did you go? I mean, which part did you do? Because it goes on forever, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And we did five days and it was wow. five days along different sections. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tended to get bussed to the beginning, walked for a day, uh, and then got picked up and then the next day we're bussed somewhere else. But, you know, my favorite section was a bit that actually runs along the Mongolian-China border. And uh, it was it hadn't been refurbished. So parts of it were really kind of crumbling. Mm-hmm. And there were all these um, watchtowers in the middle of nowhere. And you think, my God, why did, you know, imagine being stationed yeah. in those watchtowers. But it was just, I mean, it was it was huge and it was wild and it was beautiful and the views must have been incredible from there oh they well. were and these local farmers would come and help carry your day packs because they want to turn a bit of money and there we were in all our walking gear you know with i don't think i had poles at that point but you know the the boots and the and all the walking gear and there they were in plimsolls and and you know kind of a pair of jeans and a jacket um, so that kind of got me into walking more seriously. That was my first kind of long distance walk. And then just gradually, I started to get into it more and more. And in 2006, I tried to set up a business to do with walking, but it didn't quite work the way I planned. I gave it a couple of years, mm-hmm. it didn't quite work the way I planned. So I set it aside, but the passion to take other women out and share the walking with them was something that stayed and then my own personal walking so in in 2006 i trained a group of 20 women to do a 38 mile two-day walk which was phenomenal Mm -hmm. and that led to the setting up of a walking group then in 2007 i joined uh the organization exodus and with four other five other women um we went out and did the Inca Trail in Peru. Oh, uh, yes. Which, I've been uh, there. I didn't do the trail, you... but I've been to Machu Picchu. Oh, it's And we arrived from the other side. Because when you do the Inca Trail, you arrive at the Sun Gate from the opposite yeah. side, don't you? That must have been amazing yeah. as well. Oh, I I have a lovely story about that. Uh, is it okay to tell it? Yeah, of course. Um, so we'd been trekking for four days. I think it was five. the day five you got there. And... Uh, we knew that it was the day we were going to actually get to Machu Picchu and we'd stopped to have a bit of a break, you know, to like water, chocolate, nuts, juice, that kind of thing. And we're all sitting around and we're saying to our guide, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And she said, oh, uh, about about 90 minutes to, to two hours. So, OK, OK. So um, we, we set off and I was kind of leading the back group and there's a lot of steps on on the Inca Trail, a lot of climbs and uh, we got to the point where we'd sort of say right let's pick the halfway point let's go to the halfway point then of course you've got little oxygen so you're you know you're at high Mm. altitude um so we got to top the the middle point we stopped we got our breath back I said right let's go on to the top and I got to the top of this big flight of stairs and I just stopped and I breathed in and I wasn't really looking and all of a sudden I realized that there in front of me was Machu Picchu (laughs) and I was actually on the top of the sun gate 
and a cloud moved and the sun and these rays, I've got this amazing photograph of these rays just shining down on Machu Picchu. And I remember thinking she knew that we were going to get to this point where we would first glimpse it and she didn't tell us. And I was so grateful because it would have ruined this Mm. amazing moment, you know. It's so wowy, isn't it? This view unfold in front of you. It's just the most incredible, almost unbelievable sight, isn't it? You think, how on earth have they done this? (laughs) It's just awesome. And when you walk around it as well, yeah. And the fact that it was buried really in, in undergrowth for for so long, because I think when when the guy who discovered it actually discovered it, I think he just came across it in dense undergrowth. I think it was all hidden. That's right, and he and he set to to uncover it, didn't he? And that was the project yeah. that. Yeah. And, and it's just it's amazing. Oh. So if anybody listening to this hasn't been, make it your oh mission in life oh. to go and see oh. Machu Picchu. It's incredible. And you don't have to trek there. You can do what you did. You can take the train up, and it's yes. still amazing. Yeah. You know. Well, it's... we were doing a big trip, so we were incorporating Lake Titicaca and, and we went to Bolivia as well. But oh, I really wow. want to go back and do that trail because it is something and uh, it's one of the one of the big ones. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, but so from that, so you've developed your own walking, um, yeah. but you're now on a mission, aren't you, to get one million women walking. <laughs> and you talk about allowing women to reconnect to their true selves. So what exactly does this all mean? Well, I mean... <sighs> I, I started doing the Camino de Santiago in 2008. I don't know if you've heard of the Camino de Santiago. Yes, I have, yeah. Also on my oh. list. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, for those of your listeners who might not have heard of it, it is a, um, a pilgrimage and it, it I think it's been around since medieval times. Mm-hmm. And majority of people do it from the French-Spanish border over to Western Spain to the city of Santiago de Compostela, mm-hmm. which is where the remains of St. James the Apostle are. Yeah. And uh, that's why they make a pilgrimage. So I've read about it years before and then got talking to a friend of mine I got to know through my walking group and we discovered we both wanted to do it. Um, we could, A lot of people do it over four to six weeks and do it all in one go. It's a 500 mile journey. But we couldn't do it that way. So we decided to start it in the center of France and make it a thousand mile journey. Wow. (laughs) And (laughs) we did a section a year for nine years, I think it was. So starting it in 2008, finishing it in 2017, I went through an amazing like transformation in that time from the woman I started it as the woman I finished it as. (laughs) But when I did the very first section, I just thought, I would love to take women out walking on a section of this because it's a spiritual walk mm. and you know it's a religious walk as well but a lot of people do it from a spiritual perspective and it really it, it's one of the times when you do start because you've got so much time walking you start to to really listen to what's coming up at least I think that's the best way to use it mm. so when I then reset the business up as it is now, and it was called Women Walking, Women Talking from 20, end of 2015, 2016. We just changed it to One Million Women Walking because of the community. I wanted to use walking as the vehicle to deliver kind of coaching, personal development, mentoring around helping women to 
just reconnect because I suppose that's what walking had helped me to do. I had lost me along the way of life. And I believe that a lot of us, if we look back, again, I'm talking women here, if we look back to what our dreams and aspirations were as young women, often with responsibility in jobs, buying property, um, partners, uh, children, oh, and all the other things that life throws at us, perhaps like illness, divorce, um, losing people, um, you know, lots of redundancy, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. we, we can lose ourselves, we can lose the essence of ourselves, but it doesn't mean that that essence, those dreams, those aspirations are gone forever. We can reconnect. And I believe that one of the best ways to help women reconnect is by giving them space and time because that's not something most of us have a lot of. And so by taking women out walking, even if it's only an hour or two, but preferably a day or two, then, and especially if you organize most things for them and, and put all the infrastructure in, they have no excuse but to actually give some time to their themselves. And when you're walking in nature and you can start to slow down, you can start to be more mindful, and that gives you the opportunity to really start to connect with the internal. And that's where the answers are. You know, we've in many ways, we've been taught and guided to the fact that, you know, the answers are outside, you know, if only we had more money, if only we had nice clothes, if only we'd lived in a better house, if only we could afford these holidays, if only, if only, if only, if only, mm -hmm. whereas actually connecting to what's inside and knowing who we really are and where we want to go is what will give us the happiness. Yeah, it's almost, it is, it's finding that inner peace, isn't it? And I think walking really does that. I mean, I hear time and time again from people how good walking makes them feel. And mm. it's really gaining traction as well now because it's so accessible and relatively little kit is needed. And now we've all yeah. been chucked outside for a year. <laughs> it's been a real lifesaver for a lot of people, especially as many are used to being in front of a screen and inside a lot of the time. And often it's giving themselves permission to go out alone and to really reconnect like you say with themselves and to mm. and to know what's going on in your own mind and make decisions and, and have that bit of free time for you and that space outside of what you normally do so yeah. what are you finding that women are telling you about that whilst you coach them many cases it's the same it's no time for themselves it's been on this kind of treadmill of I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do the other thing and it's not just it's juggling work um, which majority of women are probably working um, and also family life and, and everything else and, and just running out of time and just and of course we only ever have a certain amount of time so often it's just maybe not managing time the best we can and one of the things that I developed during the, the lockdown, the past year, I shouldn't say during lockdown because it's still, still kind of ongoing, mm. um, was because I couldn't run my walks, of course, and I couldn't take people away on, on my experiences, 
I had done a, a kind of virtual book tour and from the virtual book tour book club from my own book, there were so many um, things that came up for women with women resonating about what I was saying and about this kind of sadness and lack of connection and feeling they kind of lost their zest and their spark. And um, I developed a, a course out of that 12 week course um, that just guides women through and makes them think about things like what their values are, um, what stresses them, where they find their joy, um, uh, how, they, how they talk to themselves, what boundaries they have in place, what rituals and routines they use to kind of help to guide their day and values or rituals and routines that actually are good for them and, and make them feel better. And the women that have been on the course so far, they're not women who have problems as such. And I say this because I think even now with coaching, a lot of people feel, oh, well, there's nothing wrong. So there's nothing to put right. I'm fine. Whereas therapy counseling is, is kind of tends to be more about the past and what, why have you developed or what's, what has caused you to develop the problems, the issues, the challenges you have. But these are all very capable women who are capable of doing what they're doing. They may be a bit stressed, they may be busy, but when we've started to dig deeper, they've all had huge shifts just by realizing that maybe they've got no boundaries or very few boundaries, or they let people walk over their boundaries all the time or that how they talk to themselves is not the way that they would ever talk to a close friend. And why are they talking to themselves that way? And by just adjusting and tweaking these things, these women are just so much more in connection with who they really are. And they start, they've then started to make the changes to live a life that's making them happier. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's all right talking about girl power. And I think, you know, women are strong and we do do a lot of things and we're copers. And that's just kind of what generally happens. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I completely understand what you're talking about. I mean, uh, I'm studying to be a therapist myself. And as part of that, I need to have my own therapy to understand what yes. it's like to be on the other side. And you don't, I remember going to my first session thinking, uh, right, I'm not really sure how I'm going to open this. Like, what am I going to talk about? What do I, could, because we, we're just in our lives, aren't we? Like you say, mm -hmm. everybody's just getting on with it and, and we're okay. And like you say, I feel really lucky and there's lots of things about gratitude at the moment and how we shouldn't complain and it's great. Um, and it wasn't until I got to that session and my therapist is amazing. And she started to just kind of ask a few questions. Well, you don't realise really <laughs> how much you actually want to say and what you probably bury. You know, there's so many things that you you, you think that um, you're dealing with and you're talking about with your friends or you're sorting them out in your mind. But it's not until you get to talking to a professional about it and they're reflecting back to you what you're saying that you actually realise that, hold on a minute, I had no idea that that was the kind of thing that I was experiencing. And yeah, actually, I need to sort that out. So I completely understand you. And I think there is a bit of a stigma around therapy mm. per se, you know, people going to it, like you say, you know, therapy is one thing people can go if they've got an actual issue. And that's how what people think that it's for, you know, well, okay, yeah. I've got something fundamentally wrong, I really need to go and speak to somebody. But in actual fact, by speaking to people like you or therapists, um, 
you can actually get a lot out of that and it's not just a case of always talking to your girlfriend and, and and finding that they're in the same position and so therefore oh okay the comparisonitis again what okay yeah. well, that's, everybody's in the same boat then so that must be okay it's mm. more about um you know avoiding that negative self-talk and finding out how to move away from talking to yourself like that it's, it's hard to portray that feeling of confidence yet inside thinking oh right okay was I did, I did I do that okay did I say that okay to that person I'm sure we all go through those things so yeah absolutely right getting people together and avoiding that oscillation between you know I'm feeling okay and oh I'm not feeling okay it's just leveling everything out finding that inner strength that proper inner strength and from there making your choices and I think too, um, and you alluded to this, you know, whether it's therapy, and I, I had some um, psychotherapy as well as part of my, you know, my recovery from adrenal fatigue and burnout. And it was amazing. And the thing that is constant there, or the same there, whatever you're talking about, is actually time to talk about you and coaching allows that as well. Because when you're talking to your girlfriends, you've got to listen to them too. And that, you know, that's what friendship's all yeah. about. There's nothing wrong with that. But also your girlfriends, sometimes they don't realize it, but they're not necessarily wanting to hear all the things mm -hmm. that you're telling them. And a professional is there to hear. They're there to listen. They're there to let you talk. And how often do we actually have the luxury of being allowed to talk about ourselves. Not very often. Not at all. And through that process of talking, then things come up. And when I have people out walking, for instance, I will often say to them as well, you know, I want you to walk for half an hour. I don't want you to, on your own, I don't want you to put in any like music or anything because we're all very good at finding distractions, you know, we, we don't want the silence necessary because subconsciously or otherwise, we don't want to have to hear what comes up. Mm. So we put music on, we put, you know, a podcast on. Not that there's anything wrong with either <laughs> listening to music or a podcast, but, you know, it just, yeah. it just stops us hearing our own voice and stops us hearing what's coming up. Yeah. And that's where I get some of the biggest breakthroughs with my women because they're actually having to be aware of these voices and we start to do a little bit of unraveling about so what is coming up and what do you think that means you know and again I'm there to listen to them and to help facilitate that journey for them you know yeah it's just understanding isn't it um what mm. when things do come up what that actually means I mean the other day um I decided that I was just going to stop because I'm, I'm such a massive podcast listener and um, I love listening to, <clears throat> well, first of all, interviews, but I also like listening to audio books as well and I really get into them. But the other day I was in a wood and I just thought to myself, this is, this is sacrilege. I need to take my headphones out. I need to stop listening to anything. And like you say, just listen to the bird song, listen to nothing. And yeah. then things come. And I've spoken to many people who, who talk about being more creative when they go out to walk and if they have a decision to make or they want to mull something over in their mind. And often we have conversations with people and maybe there's some discomfort that comes out of those. And it's just kind of churning it all over and, and 
out of that um, deciding on, okay, what is it I actually think about that then? Rather than, like we said earlier, you know, burying it. So it's a really positive thing to be able to do. And you mentioned there about your your walking and the things that you do with your with your ladies and you plan to offer walking retreats again don't you when they when we can when we can go out and they sound amazing so (laughs) who who are these sort of aimed at and what kind of thing can people expect from those well I call them walking experiences because uh, for me it's so much it's about so much more than just the walking so it's about scenery it's about the history of where you're walking it's about the food and the wine and or the beer or the, the soft drinks that you might be drinking <laughs> it's about the people that you're on this kind of experience with it's the whole it's the whole package and they started off with these experiences on the Camino and I run a couple of those a year and I'm missing my Camino so much mm. uh, and it's it's different sections so sometimes we do France sometimes we do bits in Spain or Portugal and and basically the, the Camino ones um, are quite challenging so sometimes we're walking on average of you know 13 14 15 miles a day um, and we get up in the morning and we walk all day and then we we kind of have a, a bit of a uh, come together and a bit of a how did the day go and, and see what came up and over a drink and then you know we have dinner and we get to bed because we get up the next morning and do it again mm. um but the camaraderie that gets built up with the group and my maximum group size is eight with two leaders uh, so ten uh is just wonderful because a real bond does form now the I guess the women that come with me tend to be women who are like 50, 50 plus. So sometimes they're women whose partners don't share their love of walking. Sometimes they're women who are single. Um, They're women who just want a bit of a challenge. Uh, Maybe they've heard about the Camino before. Um, and they they just want to go out and walk and enjoy the the experience and and actually do a bit of thinking about themselves as well. Now I don't know when I will actually get out to the Camino again. It won't be at, at the earliest. It won't be until the autumn. Um, so I have been looking to developing some more of these similar experiences in the UK as well. Mm. Uh, and what I love to do is I love to take women along ancient paths because i love the fact that there is a history of you know who who walked before and why were these people walking they might be drovers roads there might be old uh, ancient paths in in areas where the romans were and what i think is really interesting is kind of tapping into the wisdom and the stories of the people who walked but then bringing them back to our own wisdom and our own stories, because we tell ourselves stories that often hold us back, stories of what we can't do. I know I'm not as good as so-and-so, I can't do that comparisonitis again. <laughs> but we also have a lot of stories that are really inspiring and stories that would be beneficial to our, our families perhaps, but also stories that really, if we're business owners, are a great um, asset to our businesses and how we actually deal with issues. And, you know, we were talking just generally uh, about walking and how good it is for you. And that's physically and mentally. The mental capacity of walking, and you talked about creativity, and there's so much 
um, science now, when I started walking and being serious about it, you know, I was the only one going on about walking and people would just look at me. But now there's so much science that backs up the fact that we are more creative when we're walking because the whole motion of walking, what it, how it affects our brain and being in the, in the open air and all that space and solving problems is definitely easier when you're out walking. Making decisions is easier when you're out walking. So there's so much value that comes from this. And, and I would say that, you know, women who have come with me, they have just gone back with with transformation you know different levels for different people but i remember one woman saying to me you know i realized that as a mum, i am responsible for keeping my family together as a team leader i'm responsible for keeping my team together but who the hell is responsible for keeping me together mm. you know and she she went and changed career when she went back after the camino yeah oh god i mean i'm sure many people make many decisions and you, know, you mentioned that lady there, but um, what an excellent influence on your children to be going out. I mean, my kids, obviously, they're 10, so they just want to play Xbox. Um, and, we, you know, <laughs> we get out, we get out for family walks and, and we go out on bike rides and things like that. Um, but every day I go out, so sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. Um, if they've come in from school, I can settle them in and they can do whatever they're doing. And often I'll go out for a walk then. So I could go out in the morning, yeah. go out in the afternoon, depending on what my what I'm doing during my day. And I'm always just thinking that is having an influence on them. They're seeing me go out. So even if they're not coming out with me and walking however many miles I walk, they're knowing that that's part of my life. And often children will take on things from their parents that they see regardless of whether they're doing it or not so later on in life that will be really good and it will teach them to look after themselves as well and think about their own mental health and I'm always talking Absolutely. to them about it you know so it's mm. it is really important and like you say who is going to look after you you need to think about that don't you in, in your everyday yeah. life you know sometimes I know with homeschooling I've banged on about this so much it it was really a tough time because you're yeah. there and you're with you know I had two of them there side by side um and it you know again this whole grateful thing comes in I'm grateful they're doing the same syllabus I'm grateful they're doing the same work I'm grateful they're the same age all this but then you think well hang on that still doesn't mean that that isn't really difficult and at the end of that I when they went back to school it was just such a weight off my shoulders because I felt that huge responsibility to continue that work for the because it was mm. for quite a long um, you know a long period of time really yeah. um but it is very important isn't it to look inwards and say right okay I need to stop now I need to back yeah. off I need to step off um you know the world a bit and just relax and do my meditation do my walking whatever it is that keeps you sane because we do often hold the families together don't we mm -hmm. yeah i just wanted to pick up to what you were saying about children because kids do go through a phase where they don't want to go on walks and things with their family you know and where they're old enough perhaps you know older than your kids when they're maybe about 14 15 and it's just so uncool to go for the a walk, tricky teenage you know? years yeah and, <laughs> and i remember with ellie just deciding okay i'm not going to push you into this because i think sometimes when you push you it has a detriment detrimental effect so I stopped pushing and she turned around when she was about 16 and I had done a couple of these pink ribbon walks I'd trained groups of women to go and do them and we'd done 20 miles in most cases and she turned around one day and she said to me mom 
could we do one of those pink ribbon walks together? You're and like, she said, maybe yes. not the maybe not the twenty, maybe the ten. And I went, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we did it, and it was such a lovely experience. But she also she went out to Australia to study for six months um, as part of her degree, and she went out. She went off to Tasmania, where all they did was hike. And she really loves to walk mm. now. Mm. So you know, I anybody listening has got kids who saying, you know, I don't want to walk. I don't want to go out there. Yeah. Leave them be because you are, as you just said, Kaz. What we do, our behaviour, how we look after ourselves. Our kids do notice it. They might not always be aware, but they do. And mm. I think they often come round then yeah. because you haven't stuffed it down their throats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and often as well, I think it's it's allowing them to do things with their friends because if yes. they're with their peers and they enjoy it, then that's that's a super positive experience as oh, well because yeah. they're with their mates. And I've had a couple of people on here talk about Duke of Edinburgh um, training. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, you know, even if they don't get the opportunity to do that, there's often adventure places that you can take them to and and you know get them involved and i think i remember from a young age going on adventure holidays with my school friend and we're actually resurrecting that next year for our 50th and we're going to go um away and do an adventure holiday which would be absolutely yeah be absolutely lovely fantastic yeah and you know and i think that that stuck with us we were i mean i remember even in my junior school the school trip was going on an adventure holiday and it still is you know junior school still unfortunately this year my kids missed out because of lockdown but you know i'm hoping we'll make up for it but i think it's so important to instill in kids from such a young age that adventure is fun you know walking is good and it might push you and you might you know you might even hate it at the time Mm. but then you look back and think oh do you know what that was really good and as you get older and you start to experience all of these things you realize how good it is for your mental health and so many people now in the lockdown have stepped out when ordinarily they might have gone down the gym inside for an hour slogged their guts out on the treadmill nothing wrong with that but they've now discovered nature they've discovered those trails they found different places to go with their families or on their own and there is that sense of escapism isn't there so it's just amazing yeah I think walking has been a big escape for a lot of people. We did a, in our community, we did a survey. We started it in the first lockdown just to find out what women's walking habits were like. And I think it was a huge number of women who started walking. It was about 65 to 70% of women who started walking during lockdown. And actually, I can't remember what the figure was, but a high percentage of that who wanted to continue it afterwards because they had got so many benefits mm. and the benefits were mainly interestingly enough mental health yeah. benefits yeah as well as you know weight loss and all the other things that go with it yeah. but really the mental yeah. health is the one i know it kind of <laughs> saved me during that time because oh i think just you know having that hour to yourself i remember in the original lockdown when we homeschooled mm. at three o'clock that was it i said right that's it school's out and i was out that door and off i went and it just settles your soul i mean i read on your website which i thought was lovely that walking makes your soul sing and i totally get that it's it's a really cathartic process for many people but yeah it's hard to describe isn't it until you actually go out yourself so it's wonderful and the thing is most of us have places close by that we can walk that was another thing that happened within lockdown where i think in the past people might have 
got into a car and driven to a beauty spot to take a walk, whereas they weren't allowed to do that. And I was I was hearing from women on my community saying, I didn't realize there was a, a local park at the end of the road. I didn't realize there was a footpath that went along the back of my house. I didn't realize that there was yeah. a woods or a piece of moorland. And they all connect you know, up together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And do, and do you know, I love that. I love mm, where too. you go out and you take a path and you, you suddenly go, Ah, this is where this Yeah. Comes. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? And then you think, oh, so that's a whole nother four mile leap I can do and I end up back here. Yeah, it's it's really lovely. I was talking to um Dan Raven Ellison about this. He's the guy that instigated Slowways, where he's oh, trying yes. to connect up the different um dwelling you know, uh, habitations between say villages and towns, all connected by a footpath. And he we were talking about that, how suddenly, you know, you come to a golf course or something, you think, Oh, this is amazing, I can walk all the way around it and that connects to there. And that connects to that so yeah it's it's a really um it's a really good thing to be able to go out from your home rather than like you say driving to the same beauty spot every time walking around the lake getting back in your car and coming home again (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah so it's really good so heather let's talk about your book because it always fascinates me as to how someone starts to write one in the first place (laughs) what was your real driver behind this and how did you decide on the style of book Um, Well, interestingly, it was a challenge uh, at the beginning. I was doing some work with a mentor and she gave us all, I think, 90 days to write a book. Um, But it was meant to be a book that we sort of, a short, very short book that we gave away as a bit of a freebie Mm -hmm. uh, to clients. And I started writing mine and got so far through it and the 90 days were up. So I hadn't completed it, but lots of people hadn't completed theirs, but I'd made a good stab at it. But I realized that I had a lot more I wanted to say. And I began to think, hold on, this is actually more than just a a giveaway, really. Um, The thing is, it then went on the back burner, of course, because there wasn't the same accountability to have it done. And um, I, It sat in the back burner for quite a long time, if truth be told. And I think I became a bit scared of looking at it because I began to think, oh, maybe it's a load of rubbish, really. Yeah, that negative (laughs) self-talk again. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the kind of whole whole thing about who am I to write a book? Yes. And um, then in 2000 and... uh, it was last year actually it was 2020 i i work with a numerologist and i find working with her absolutely amazing um and uh she had always said to me that numerology works in cycles of nine years and she had said to me you know your year seven is a great year to get your book out well year seven was 2020 for me and uh i she said right let's get that book out and the best date to get it out on because numerology is all about numbers is the 6th of January, 2020. So I still procrastinated. I agreed, but I procrastinated for ages. And then I did pull it out one day and looked at it and read it and thought, actually, this is not that bad. (laughs) Um, I tend to write as I speak. and I just decided that because this was my story, then that was the best way to write it, really. And uh, so it, it became really me just telling my story and and telling what had happened from 
the burnout mm. and knowing what it was right up really to recovery and interestingly i was then working with another mentor than the one who'd given me the challenge and i had let her see the book uh prior to us actually getting it out there and i suppose it was still a couple of months out by this time and she said to me can i make some suggestions I'm like, yeah she said well instead of the way you're writing it i think you should you should have three sections you should have a um past a present and a future she said so the past your story the present is what you're doing now as a result of what you went through and the future is all about legacy and uh i kind of sat with it for 24 hours and then as normally i realized that it was quite a good idea <laughs> as opposed to resisting it and i started to just change it around a little bit and actually it was really excellent because i could then start to look at you know i'm i'm not discovering this way of life in you know in my late 20s late 30s mid 40s you know i'm in my early 60s and um i just been able then to look at where i wanted this to go and and what legacy i wanted to leave is what actually pinned it down to being on a mission because she said to me you know so if you really had to um really pin this down to what effect you want to have through this walking and i said well really i want to impact the lives of lots of women by introducing them to walking letting them see how powerful it is and if i can do that that would be amazing and she said how many women and i just went a million mm -hmm. uh so i was able then to start talking about um the future of 1 million women walking and and of course you don't know what the future brings mm. you don't know what the opportunities are so i was still very open to the opportunities i'm not planning on giving this up anytime soon but it it did really allow me to think at the end of the day yes i want to inspire millions of women worldwide to walk but i also want to put walking back in its true position which i think is a real force and power for good yeah. and i think we've got away from that and this very simple activity that has for so long been underrated can change so much and transform so much and you know in terms of healthcare i know women in my community who have walked and lost weight toned up and been able to stop taking diabetes medication mm. because their diabetes has gone you know yeah. it can be that powerful you know yeah, absolutely yeah that sounds fabulous and let's hope 1 million people buy that heather <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that's really good i can't wait to read it either i haven't read it yet but i am definitely going to read that and um that's lovely. and obviously you were a coach in your previous roles before you started um walking and getting involved with women doing this kind of thing yeah so you and have, i still coach you still coach yeah exactly oh, yeah. so you you i was going to say that you kind of um you can use those skills now can't you in, oh, yeah. in the work that you do but I was interested to hear you know you've been talking about mentors and um I think mentors are really important so how do you feel about that like how do you go about selecting your mentors do they come to you do you just happen to go right do you tell them right you're going to be my mentor <laughs> that's it you're you're in whether you like it or not how do you um how do you select that because I read a really good book by Russell Brand I don't know if you read that oh. his mentors and it's quite interesting how he's got different types of mentors for different things so how how does that play out for you 
I would agree with them there. I think you pick mentors for different reasons. I think, you know, um, some people have, for instance, like a spiritual mentor who they may not be, they may not be paying. And I, and I mean, sometimes they may be, but, mm. you know, they may be just, it may be someone who really um, inspires them spiritually and who they they read a lot about and they follow and maybe they listen to through podcasts and things like that. And and they, you know, they, they really get into their way of doing things a lot of my mentors have been from a more business perspective um and they've been i i go i go through phases so for instance last year from from march 2019 right up to the end of 2020 i worked with the same woman and that was very much about business and it was in that period, I made a lot of changes to the business as it is now and drilled down and got the mission and that sort of thing. But at the end of last year, I felt I needed to take a break and step back and really embed a lot of the stuff that I've learned. And that's a bit of a pattern with me. I'll work, I'll choose to work with a mentor for maybe a year or a couple of years. And then I will kind of step back and just revisit a lot of the stuff that I've learned because you never take it all in at the, at the mm. time you're doing it. Um, and it's really good to go back and find the things that you missed or just be reassured again by hearing, you know, the same, some of the same stuff over again. And, and who knows, you know, what will come up, you know, my own, my own personal development tends to be something that also happens through mentoring but also, you know, can happen through just a lot of reading as well. Uh, and also my personal walking um, development as well is something that's really important to me. So although I have walked the Camino, um, was it 2019, I walked uh, the Portuguese one from Porto for 13 days. And I want to walk from Santiago to way out to the coast which is where the, the Spanish say that that the real Camino ends I want to do that and I want to walk um, the Lycian way in Turkey um, so that, you know my that's my personal mm. development walking development you yeah. know I need to get on that well I'm doing a virtual Camino way at the moment with the ultra oh, challenge good. guys so um, that's about as far as I've got with that and um, I've got a, a holiday book to Turkey but I don't oh, think we're wow. going to end up going <laughs> who knows with this situation <laughs> but yeah no it's nice to have goals isn't it and um, just mm. listening to you there about your mentors I think um, you can't underestimate as well how your friends are your mentors as well. I think often, yes. you know, we um, we don't realise how much they give us. So, but just just thinking about what you were talking about yourself there, with all this sort of caring about other people and sharing your love of walking, how do you ensure that you keep your self care going? And what is your health and fitness routine on a daily basis? Um, it's it's walking. <laughs> no surprise <laughs> there. I do try and get out every day and walk. Um, and as this, you know, preferably first thing in the morning, because it just sets me up for the day. And I will usually try and do before I go some yoga, more restorative yoga. I'm, I'm quite into kind of the slower um, yoga. And I'll, I kind of do that before I go out for a walk because it just gets me kind of moving really mm. and, and much more fluid. Or I'll do it when I get back. And then sometimes I'll do some yoga in the evening too. But walking is something, well, not so much at the moment, but when 
hopefully life returns or, or develops into whatever it's going to develop next and we have some more freedom, I will use walking so often as my form of transportation. So, you know, if I'm going somewhere, I'll look and think, well, can I walk there? And how long is it going to take me? Mm -hmm. So I will decide to leave half an hour earlier just so I can walk. So, you know, it's definitely part of it. But the other thing is, is, you know, what we touched on, um, I think towards the beginning was, you know, what I'm eating um, and, and walking tends to give me my meditation time. It tends to give me my creative time. So a walk gives me so much more than just the physical put one foot in front of another mm. so it puts me in the right mindset it slows me down it de-stresses me and uh yeah that with you know what what i'm eating and um and therefore what i'm cooking um all kind of comes together really for my health and fitness the other thing is breaks i know how important it is and i think that's one of the reasons i've struggled at times this year and who hasn't is with the fact that I usually have all my breaks, you know, diarized in, and I did that, but of course they couldn't happen. And, you know, these are, these are like a, a long weekend break. Uh, so they're not all, you know, go away for two months or, or two weeks or whatever. Yeah. But of course, none of them happened this year, or very few of them are last year. So I really, and freedom is a very big um, value for me too. And I, of course, I my freedom was compromised quite a lot. And I didn't have that space uh, and those breaks that I needed. And I think, again, that goes way back to knowing yourself. If you know who you are and if you're aligned with who you are and you know what makes you tick, then you can put into place the things that nurture you and the things that give you the best chance of living a life daily that is fulfilling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just listening to you talking about, you know, your meditation is walking. I, I really, I'm always saying that walking is meditation on the move because that's yeah. just exactly how I feel as well. And it's important to have that freedom. And as our freedom has been compromised, having it kind of boiled down into walking, if you like, is has been quite liberating in itself because you just think, well, actually, this is all I have. So I need to make the most of this. And yeah. I think a lot of people have. So, okay. So the stepping out question, Heather, I need to ask you is if you could then walk with anyone here or passed on, famous or not, who would that be? Where would you walk? And what would you ask them? Ooh, okay. Well, I would have said Claire Balding, but I was lucky Ooh, enough to record a ramblings program with her a number of years ago. Ooh. And she was great fun to walk with. She's so lovely. She's lovely. So, I had to think about somebody else. And actually it would be the actor Martin Sheen. And the reason that I would walk with Martin Sheen is, firstly, he was President Jed Bartlett in one of the best political dramas I think has ever been out there, The West Wing. Yeah. And uh, we're watching it, I think, for the fifth or sixth time at the moment. <laughs> so I just love that. Um, but the other thing is he uh, made a film called The Way, which in which he played the father of a young man who yeah and i've yet to see that that's supposed to be oh you've got to see it yeah. <gasps> i mean it's a film so you have to understand the poetic license yeah. or the film license but you know he made that film but the interesting thing is that emilio estevez his son who actually does a cameo role in it and well not not he doesn't appear as himself but he appears as his son as the guy's son he um he wrote the screenplay 
And uh, Martin Sheen's father is actually Galician, hence the Emilio Estevez, because he never changed his name. Whereas I presume when Martin Sheen was trying to make a name for himself in Hollywood, it was probably better not to have a Spanish sounding name. So he changed his name to Sheen. And uh, the story has it that they were in Ireland because his mother is Irish. They were in Ireland um, at a family reunion and he and Emilio and maybe other members of the family went to Galicia to see where his father was from and walked a bit of the Camino and this inspired them. And I also know Martin Sheen is is, um, a devout Catholic. So clearly that side of things was important. So I would love to walk a part of the Camino with him and talk to him about, you know, how he feels about it, how making the film impacted him, um, you know, how the film came about and and all of those things. And I remember being in a a garden of a cafe one day on the Camino and my my walking buddy went in to go to the loo or to order coffee or something. She came out and she said, you have to come in, you have to see this. And all over the walls were photographs because the woman who owned the cafe, her son had been involved in some way in the filming and they they had actually filmed on this section. And of course they'd eaten and drunk in the cafe a lot. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it just, um, oh, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant film to watch. It gives you a really lovely flavor of what the Camino is about. Oh, that's a really, really good answer. I like that a lot. So. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm gonna put all of the links to everything you do with your lovely groups and retreats and all that kind of thing, obviously in the episode description. But what's next for you then, Heather? What can women look forward to from you? Hopefully, fingers mm-hmm. crossed and all of that this year and next year. Okay, well, this year is just gonna be getting back into my walking group, walking. We're hoping to set up some walking groups, well, starting in the UK, but all over all over the world, really, because of our, our, our community is, is global. Uh, get back into doing those walking experiences back on the Camino, um, but also got some exciting ideas about some one day uh, walking adventures and um, some shorter walking or shorter days of walking, but more time for discussion and debate uh, as well, you know, for people mm-hmm. who don't want to walk 15 to 20 miles a day, but might be happier doing kind of six to eight or something like that, but still want to have the kind of opportunity to talk about themselves and where they are in their lives and, and how they can identify and reconnect even more and reignite their sparks. I think we'll, we'll do some of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that sounds absolutely fabulous. Well, we've come to the end of our time, Heather, and it has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time and uh, I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Oh, well, Kaz, thank you. It's been lovely. I've so enjoyed it and the time has just flown. So thank you for having me as your guest. Thank you so much, Heather, for talking to me. It was really interesting to chat about all the topics that we did. And it was good to hear how more aligned people are becoming in the quest to achieve self-actualization. I've placed all the links to Heather's work in the episode description. So do take a look and join her One Million Women Walking Facebook page community. It's a great place to browse and of course, buy her book, How Walking Saved My Life. Thank you so much for listening as always. Take care of yourselves, get some steps in and I look forward to having you along next time. Thank you.